Before we hear the words of scripture, it is important that we quiet our hearts to hear God's word. Let us pray. God of power and grace, fill us with the wisdom of your word and the understanding of your spirit so that we may be your church, a people with dreams and visions at work in all the world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our Hebrew scripture reading this morning will be from 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 to 11 and verse 16. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, that I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make you for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be distributed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Our epistle reading this morning is Romans 16, 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel passage today comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I can't believe that we are already on the last Sunday of Advent this year. In a few days, on the holiest of nights, we will celebrate the day that God burst into space and time to be with us. Not some abstract spiritual with us, but physically with us, historically with us, grounded in the same space and time that we are. Emmanuel, God with us, that is what that means. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. There are distinct themes woven throughout the church year, and during Advent, we've talked about waiting. We've talked about God's desire for peace and justice. We've prepared our hearts for the arrival of the Messiah, the great light in a dark world. I don't know about you, but as I am every year, I am excited that our season of waiting is nearly over. I love candlelight, but isn't the light of the sun even better? The themes are all through the scripture passages we read in Advent. They are all through the prayers that we pray in Advent. They are in the songs we sing. And today, on this final day of Advent, they all start to come together to herald the coming of Christ. Sometimes we get so used to the way that our church services are structured, we forget that every piece has meaning and value. Style of music has historically been one of the most hotly argued pieces of church services. It goes back way before Christian contemporary music, hundreds of years at least. But most churches agree that music in general is a very important part of our worship experience. Traditionally, songs were incorporated into worship because they're a format that is easy for the human brain to remember. Medical science has proven that something different, a different part of our brain is triggered during listening to or participating in music than is triggered when speaking or hearing someone speak. Even as far back as Jewish temple worship in Israel, the sort of worship that Jesus would have grown up with, chanting and singing was important. Because it sounds nice, of course, but it also helps us remember things better. 
I'll bet more than half of you could recite or sing the first verse of at least one hymn right now off the top of your head. The rhythm and notes just stick to our head better than spoken words often do. If you've ever had a song stuck in your head, you know what I'm talking about. This is even an effective tactic for learning other languages. You listen to and sing in that language. There's a song I learned in German class in high school. Du, du liegst mir im Herzen, du, du liegst mir im Sinn, du, du macht mir viel Schmerzen, weiß nicht, wie gut ich dir bin. It was a long time ago that I was in high school. I'm not going to say how many years ago, but that song is clearly still stuck in my brain, and I don't forget any of the words that are used in that song when I'm speaking in German. And I love the melody of that song and the, the cadence of that song. So as my kids were little, I sung it to them as a lullaby. Um, it's actually not a great lullaby. <laughs> it says, you are in my heart, you are in my mind. That's great. But here's where it gets a little sketchy. You cause me much pain. Maybe not entirely untrue. <laughs> You don't know how good I am for you. Yeah, you don't know how good I am for you. Now fast forward to when my oldest was about 14 or 15 and we went to the Hofbra house for dinner one night on a night that they had a live band. The lead vocalist said, and now one of everyone's favorite old German drinking songs. And they launched right into, Du, du liegst mir im Herzen, du, du liegst mir im Sinn. And Lexi turned to me and said, it's a bar song? <laughs> All these years you were singing me a drinking song for a lullaby? To which my reply was, yeah, but it's a catchy tune though, right? <laughs> Many old hymns that we sing in church on Sunday morning are set to the tunes of old drinking songs, pub music, because pub music tends to be catchy tunes that are easy to learn, that are very singable, that engage a group in singing together. And these are tunes that we consider today to be holy and church-like that were originally sung in bars and taverns. Some hymns share tunes with others because it's familiar music we know. Some have old Irish folk melody or something written like that below them in the hymnal, but don't let it fool you. <laughs> That's not always just a folk song. Some of them, though, are from slave songs. We have some hymns in our hymnal that are, are gospel music that goes back to slavery in early America. Some are melodies from classic music, classical music, rather. Music is a way of centering our hearts and our minds on the worship service in an immersive way that sticks with us. It's meant to be sticky, so we use music it is sticky. There's a reason that Christmas music is such a big deal. It's an important time of year for us, and we use music as a way to communicate to others and to remind ourselves what it's all about. 
Even most non-religious Christmas songs have nostalgic themes and ideas in them about home and family, love and warmth, the way things were and the way things should be. When we sing in church, especially during our important seasons like Advent, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, we are telling our story. Listen closely to the words. We're reminding ourselves and those around us of what we believe, of what the meaning of this season is, of the great things that God has done for us and the bright future we have in Jesus. That's actually why in most years I'm a real stickler for not leaving behind the Advent music in the rush for Christmas. We should make sure we're telling the whole story. I made an exception this year, though. I think we need to lean a little more into the the joy (laughs) this year. One of the hymns we sang already this morning talks about God breaking forth into human history as Jesus Christ. God chose to be in saving relationship with humankind before anything was even created. Of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be. Before this universe was even in existence, God loved us. God wanted to be a part of our history before there was even such a thing as history. This isn't just something God decided to do one day because people had made such a fine mess of things. God always wanted to be with us in a tangible way. Jesus was begotten of God's love before the first person was even made. There is no beginning and no end to this love other than God who is without beginning and end. Before that, we sang of Emmanuel. We've sung, O come, O come, Emmanuel, every week in Advent. That means God with us. The first theological, musical declaration we made this morning together is that God is for us. Before anything else, God chose to be with us in Jesus Christ. That little baby in a manger who we celebrate later this week is God saying, I love you. I've got this. And that is humbling indeed because he is Alpha and Omega. He, the source, the ending, he. Of the things that are, that have been, and that future years shall see. Evermore and evermore. We, Jesus' followers, can shine a dim light in a dark world. But God, God is the source of everything, including any light that we shine. From the beginning of time as we know it to the very end that we have not seen yet, God breaking into the world is like the lights coming on at full wattage in the middle of the night. King David Jesus, Mother Mary, us, we are candles at best, but God is the sun. When the angel in Luke 1 tells Mary that she is the one who will bear the Messiah, she is understandably troubled at his words. Mary knows that she is but a candle, and God is the overwhelming, overshadowing, blinding, dazzling king of all creation. When David tries to jump God's plans by building the temple he wasn't told to build, 
God says to David, I picked you up from the pasture and made you a king. Remember your place. We sing this morning that in all the ages, God is and always shall be the light in the darkness, the loving creator and the sovereign of us all. So what do we do when we are approached by our sovereign God? How do we respond to an encounter with the Holy One of all the ages? Mary's response after her initial fear of having been confronted by the Holy is to say, I am the Lord's servant. The hymn we sang last week is a reflection on Mary's response to God's call. It's called the Canticle of the Turning, which is a very formal sounding name for a song. A canticle is simply a song or hymn that's based directly from scripture. And this one is based on the latter part of Luke 1 after Mary meets with Elizabeth. Mary expresses her joy and humility over having been chosen for God's task at this time when the world is ready to change. It's a canticle about a time when the earth is turning or changing, and in it we see the important Advent themes of expectation and waiting, of the coming greatness of the Messiah, and of the comfort, reconciliation, and justice that come in Jesus Christ. We also continue the idea that God's light always overshadows any light that we can possibly shine. My soul cries out with a joyful shout that the God of my heart is great. And my spirit sings of the wondrous things that you bring to the ones who wait. You fixed your sight on your servant's plight, and my weakness you did not spurn. So from east to west shall my name be blessed, could the world be about to turn. My heart shall sing of the day you bring, let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all Tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to turn. The world is about to turn. David also finds himself at a time of turning. And after reminding him that he's but a candle, God goes on to tell David that he is special. He is chosen for an important task. God softens the tone and reminds David that he has been made great and that there is something special about his house, about his lineage. In the Gospels, we see Jesus' human family tree traced back to David, the son of Jesse. And that lineage is often referred to as the tree of Jesse or a type of vine. I'd always thought, lo, how a rose air blooming, which we sang recently and we'll sing again later this week, was a strange nonsensical Christmas song, until I made a connection with that key line of Jesse's lineage coming, as men of old have sung. Jesus is the flower of the vine. He's the fulfillment of God establishing God's kingdom. He is the foretold Messiah. We can be candles like David and Mary. Our place in the story might not seem to us as exotic or exciting or adventurous as theirs. I doubt any of us in this room today will ever be a king. And I'm sure none of us will ever give birth to Jesus. I'm sure of that one. But every one of us has a place in the work of God. We need to be in all corners of the community because Jesus is in all corners of the community. His fragrance fills the air 
He dispels not just some of the darkness or darkness in certain places, but everywhere. And so like David and Mary before us, let us approach God's throne with gladness, with awe and reverence, as we prepare for the blinding light of Jesus breaking into the world.